Hey everybody, it's the Weekly Diversion Podcast, it's Matt Murray, Shy Guy City, I think it's January 5th, is that right dear, it's January 5th, uh, next to me, very special guest, my favorite person, and truly to be one of your favorite people after the next hour or so, Natasha Murray, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, pleasure to meet you. Um... I've said it before the past couple weeks on the podcast, my wife's on vacation for a couple weeks and I didn't want to just like go sit in the corner and talk to myself for two hours uh, once a week (laughs) while she was here. So I finally convinced her to come on the podcast. Um, Wow, our waveforms look crazy right now. I don't know what's going on there, but we'll figure that out later. Um, Real quick, before we get into the the programming as it were... um, you guys all have a couple days left to get me your game of the year list, I think. God, game of the year list from everyone I was expecting to, except for Wilkins, Colin, Hunter, and Justin. But I know Hunter, in fact, I think all four of you have said that you're going to get me a list, so I guess that's not a problem. Just keep in mind, I would really like to have those by the 8th, and then we'll start doing the math and all that shit. Um... And we'll figure out a date to meet up for that. I guess the only other housekeeping note I have is that uh, I, I wrote my top 10 of the year. My, my game of the year list. It's like 6,000 plus words. Um, I have that uploaded on Tumblr and Substack. I posted it on Twitter and the Discord and my Facebook. And uh, if somehow you're listening to this podcast and you don't, have access to any of those three things i guess i'll put it in the show notes but uh, i thought about saving it until we did our meetup but i was just like "Ah, whatever it's fine it's not it's not that big a deal this isn't that serious we'll just get this on there um but yeah i I think that's it i i don't want to do too much uh housekeeping i just want to get into talking to my wife because that's a fun thing to do for me um before we get into games uh how has your new year's been so far dear including our new year's eve uh it's been very nice i'm very glad i'm on vacation because the holidays were very exhausting at work i'm working at a grocery store so that was it was very packed there was a lot to do the people were annoying as always or even more (laughs) annoying Uh than usual so yeah I'm, i'm feeling good i have a little cold that's the only thing but otherwise yeah it's been nice uh traditional at least my understanding from you traditional german new year's eve is raclette grill stuff you said that has that been like a recent tradition or is that like a long-standing german tradition uh well as far as i can remember as far as i'm ever since i was alive it was a thing so Okay. okay um i was vaguely aware of raclette grills before moving here but i don't think i've ever actually been a part of a raclette grilling activity and we do it every year and uh it's a lot of fun uh a lot of meat grease just gets all over the table and the carpet and stuff um i feel like dying every year even more so than usual uh this year in particular i wasn't doing so hot but then then i was fine then it was good Ate a lot of meat and cheese, and that was it. A lot of bacon. A lot of bacon. Um, 
we watched the well we rewatched the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie. Uh hey that movie still fucking rules. Not just because of Baldur's Gate, uh, but also that movie's just pretty good. Uh we watched that for the first time right before Baldur's Gate three came out. Uh, I think we both enjoyed it like more than we were expecting to. At least I did. Um, yeah, we we always watch a movie while we do Reclet Grill in in the living room, and you really wanted to rewatch that. And I was like, yeah, let's just buy it on Amazon because uh, all that shit's on sale right now. And then you you're like, oh yeah, that is really cheap. And then you started browsing. And I went to the kitchen, and while I was in the kitchen getting Reclet Grill stuff, you uh, bought a couple other movies, all starring Chris Pine. And it made me a little concerned about the future. <laughs> but uh, I really had to put on a show that night with the Reclet Grill to, to prove that I was still worth it. But yep. you did a good job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we also we saw The Boy and the Heron last night. Uh, the latest Studio Ghibli movie. That's the what the first new one in like a over a decade or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like uh, it feels like forever. Yeah. Um, the one of the English theaters near here or movie theaters that plays English versions of movies. Uh, I just happened to see that they were playing the Japanese audio with English subtitles because a movie like this I would not be able to comprehend. Most of the German subtitles, I think. Actually, honestly, there wasn't as much dialogue as I was expecting in the movie. I mean, there was still plenty of it, but it wasn't like that complicated or anything. So actually, I probably could have watched uh, the German subtitles. But anyway, what did you think about The Boy and the Heron as the biggest Studio Ghibli fan that I know? I have a lot of thoughts about the movie. It's still very fresh. I always need... A yeah. Time to yeah. Think about stuff with for, movies. For the record, yeah, we saw this like thirteen hours ago, and most of the time in between has was spent sleeping. So it's it's pretty raw right now. But yeah, my my overall thought about it is that I thought it was very very beautiful. It was a classic Miyazaki. Like he did the thing again that he almost or I think always does with the two worlds that are kind of like connected or someone uh, escaping to a different world mm-hmm. because of trauma or something that happened in their lives. And yeah, there's always like parallels going on. So yeah, in that sense, it was what I would expecting from Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, I'm not as much of a Ghibli expert. Most of the Ghibli movies I've seen, I've seen since living here with you the past few years. Um, I mean, I, the ones I'd seen previously, I really liked. I just, I don't know, I didn't go out of my way to watch the rest of them. Uh, this one, to me, felt the most like a spiritual successor to Spirited Away. Which, is that like, I feel like the two most like beloved Ghibli movies are probably Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, right? That's, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It had a lot of that same flavor to me, but also a bit more mature. Um, not mature as in like, not that Spirited Away is like childish, but just like a lot more like blood in this one. A lot more like mm-hmm. bad stuff happening. Like in Spirited Away, it's more like, I mean, they're both fairy tale-ish and fairy tales are pretty grim anyway, but like, I don't know, it didn't feel like that much bad stuff happened in Spirited Away that wasn't, like, immediately 
like fixable like it was just like property damage and like sludge monsters getting mud everywhere whereas uh boy in the heron is like oh people are dying people are dying in fires we're burying pelicans um what did you think about like I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how much we want to dive into this. This isn't meant to be a spoiler cast for the boy and the heron. Um, I now going into it, I knew over the past couple months since the movie came out that it was more fantasy ish than I was expecting. But prior to that being that it's based, I was under the impression it was based off of the book. Um, how do you live? And that is not the case at all. It, that's Miyazaki's favorite book, and there are definitely like themes that are present in the book that are also present here. But it really it wasn't like that book is very like it 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 it's not fantasy at all. I mean it's fictional, but it's not. It's set in like the real world Japan in like the 1930s and stuff. I wasn't expecting Boy in the Heron to be as fantastical as it is, at least as of a couple months ago. Even going into the movie last night, it's still. The movie was very cerebral in a way that I wasn't expecting. It was way more abstract mm. than I was expecting. Um, visually, yeah. Probably the the most impressive from Studio Ghibli, maybe, I would say. Um, I would need to rewatch some of them, but I don't know. Like, the, the, the colors were popping. Maybe it's just it's been so long since a new one came out, but um, the visuals felt very fresh. Um I don't know what did you think about like the story overall like what I feel like when the movie ended it has a very abrupt ending I feel like the people around us were like huh! <laughs> like oh, oh that's the ending like mm. I mean I didn't read that book yet mm-hmm. uh, we, yeah we have it um so I don't know what Miyazaki was inspired by it but i'm i'm pretty sure <laughs> there's probably probably a lot that we are not aware of mm-hmm. because there must be like yeah he said yeah this is his favorite book and that's why he did this movie or wanted to do this movie um so yeah like i said he's always doing this parallel world thing and that's how he processes things i feel like mm-hmm. so i don't know I would have to read the book. Maybe there is more than we see that is, you know, that is like his version, like his fantastical, because he, yeah, he's always uh, going into the fantastical uh, aspect of things. So, so yeah, I did read the book. Uh, I think your, your best friend Kati gave that to you like Mm -hmm. for Christmas or your birthday or something. Um, I did read that book for the first time back in the summer, this past summer. Um, so most of the book, yeah, it, it's not telling that much of a story. It's about a kid whose father died, um, and then his mom and her brother are just doing their best to try and raise him the way that, I don't know, like that they think a, a young man in the 1930s in Japan should be raised. Uh, you have to remember, like the con- or keep in mind, the context of which that book was written, which was this is pre-World War II and like Japanese nationalism was like on the rise and the author, I forget his name off the top of my head. uh, He's basically writing this book as like, uh, like teach your children to think for themselves is basically all that it is. Um, The main crux of the story and like 
what really got to me in the book, uh, again, I won't go too into it specifically. If you want to read it or if people that are listening want to read it, I would definitely recommend it. It's a great book. Um, Copper is the main character's name. He's nicknamed after Copernicus. Um, him and his friends, they kind of, they have like a pact of like, if this bad thing happens, then we stand together. Um, and then in that bad thing happens and the three friends of Copper stand together, but Copper is scared and he can't move. Like he wants to move, but he can't. And then he feels his friends are so disappointed in him that it, like he's so scared to go back to school that it makes him physically sick. Um, and oh, he, so yeah, that also was in the movie. Yes, kind of. except yeah, this isn't spoilers because it happens pretty early on. Yeah, early on in the in the movie, um, I forget the character's name, Mahito. I think mm-hmm. uh, he bashes his own head in, not in, but he bashes his own head with a rock, and he can't go back to school. That yeah, it kind of happens. That that is definitely a parallel with Copper. Is it, but it, it's just like he's so overwhelmed with like shame and and anxiety about having to talk to his friends at school that like it makes him physically ill mm. um oh no new york he does actually i forgot like he's having a fever and like his mom puts like a warm washcloth on his head or whatever and then he purposely opens the window to like oh. give himself the flu and stuff uh. so yeah that those are some themes i forgot about uh the main theme of the book is uh his like his parent or his mom and his uncle can't figure out like why they they can tell something's wrong with him beyond the flu but they can't they don't know what um and his mom must realize that he like did something that he really regrets probably because like his friends aren't coming by or mm-hmm. writing letters or anything and she tells him the story about how when she was a, a little girl she was walking behind up, up like the, some temple steps so like a ton of a ton of fucking steps and there's an old lady in front of her who was like carrying something heavy and the mom as a young girl is like i i know i should help this old lady and she keeps thinking to herself okay i'm after this next when we make it to the next like landing i'm going to rush up there and like offer to carry her bag or whatever but then she just can't she just doesn't do it and she doesn't know why like the entire time she's ashamed of herself and but she doesn't know why she can't do it and then she gets the the old lady gets to the top of the stairs she quickly gets to the top of the stairs too and then quickly just runs off and she notices that the old lady is like kind of side-eyeing her being what the fuck (laughs) um and she tells copper this story to be like hey like that's something that I like. It's it's not. It wasn't a big deal. Like this wasn't a life or death situation, but it's something I still think about to this day, um, and I still regret it. But regrets don't have to be bad. Like regrets can inform your morals and 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 point your moral compass in the way you want it to go. Like if you did something you regret, you can never go back and redo that. You can never go back there, but you let it. But that's good. Like let it point you in the right direction going forward to do the right thing next time kind Mm -hmm. of thing which there are definitely themes of that in the movie again we won't we won't talk about this a ton longer because i wasn't planning on this being a whole boy in the heron (laughs) podcast but you see it with um like there's a time travel element in the movie kind of i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't call it time travel but they're like different points of time that can converge into this other world 
and he meets his mom when she was younger. His mom dies in a fire at the very beginning of of the movie, and like, there's definitely this theme of like inevitability going on, and like you can't like he can't save his mom no matter what. Like he when he was a kid, he ran after to try and reach the hospital that was on fire. He couldn't do anything, but he still obviously regrets it. Um, like when the movie is ending and they're going back to their own times, he's like, "Hey, you can't go back there. You're gonna die." And and she's like, yeah, it's fine. I, I have to be your mom kind of thing. And there was definitely a certain beauty there. Uh, the, the, how do you live book? His mom gifts it to him, but he doesn't find it until after she's dead. And that's like, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes into the movie. I kind of wish they did something like a little more with that because that's not going to hit as hard. I think for the people that didn't read the book, but Hey, if you didn't read the book and you watched the movie, now, you know, a little bit about the book. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about Boy and the Hair and Deer? No. Okay. Uh, I think... I, yeah, that was all I wanted to talk about leading up to the games, right? I, I didn't take any show notes this time. Um, so, do you just want to talk about what games we've been playing this week? Sure. What have you been playing this week, dear? Uh, I mean... Baldur's Gate, as always, uh-huh. probably. I'm always playing Baldur's Gate, I feel like, even if it's just like for an hour or something. Uh, but mostly I've been enjoying and playing Coral Island a lot recently because finally uh, the game is is playable because it was very, very bad when it came out. When was that? Like a month ago now? When? Mid-November, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, it, to the point where there, there were no sound effects for chopping trees and no music in the mines. Um, yeah, it was just not fun <laughs> to play. Yeah, you were super excited for that game. And um, I was super excited for you. Like, I know how much you love Stardew Valley. Oh, and the biggest thing, the decorating wasn't working oh, in, yeah. in your house. Like, I mean, I love Animal Crossing. It's my favorite game. Uh, and yeah, the decorating is a big part of why I like it so much. And yeah, I was excited about doing that in Coral Island because everything looks so nice. Like the graphics are amazing and all the items, there's Japanese furniture, which I always love. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you just like, there was just a bug that it wasn't, it wasn't working. You couldn't do anything. And and yeah, I was like, I, yeah, it just made me not want to play it that much. Right. It's a bummer. Uh, I've actually talked pretty extensively on this podcast about your problems with Coral Island. Uh, so it's, it's fun that you get to come on here and talk about them yourself. Uh, yeah, that decorating bug was wild. Uh, like it worked, the decorating worked perfectly fine on PC and apparently even on console, if you plugged in a USB mouse and keyboard, the decorating would work fine. You would just have to use the mouse and keyboard, which is, which is fine. I'm sure that's like better. But also, like, who wants to fucking plug in a mouse and keyboard into their PS5 just to decorate on Coral Island, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like this past week or two is really, like, that game really started hitting for you. Like, the the major updates that fixed most of the stuff with the game, or at least a decent chunk of it, like, that hit a while ago, but it really feels like it's been these past couple weeks that, that it really started hitting for you. Was there anything specifically that did it or was it just finding the japanese furniture 
<laughs> no, it's just yeah that they they fixed all that stuff before that we were just we were just still playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. So now I was just like, okay, let's sit down again and go back to Coral Island. And yeah, just how it goes with uh, with farming games. I feel like if you start like really um, sinking your teeth into them, you just can't stop playing them mm -hmm. <laughs> because there's just so much to do. There's so much to farm, so much to unlock, upgrading your tools. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. While we were out at dinner and stuff yesterday, out of nowhere, you just go, "I miss video games." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And yeah, I was. I figured you were specifically talking about either Coral Island or Baldur's Gate or both. Both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I Coral Island. I think it's reached a point where it's it's very damn playable now. I know even content wise, they're not done. Like mm -hmm. I think there's stuff with like the mermaid quest line isn't done, or the mer people quest line isn't done yet, or something with like not all the mermaid people. Their, their romance questline is done yet or something. Um, but in terms of, like, if you just want, like, another Stardew Valley, like, with, with its own identity and features, but still plays a lot like Stardew Valley, this seems like the best one of those, at least that you and I have seen. Yeah, it's definitely the closest to, to Stardew Valley, like, the whole vibe mm -hmm. and how much, like, you can see the effort that was put in. It was never about that I could tell, oh, God, these these people just want to grab the money and that's why it's buggy or anything. Mm -hmm. did, they just seem to, I don't know, struggle I had a lot of struggles with some things, it looks like. Because, yeah, you can tell there's a lot of effort put into this game. Like, all the characters and all the little um, cutscenes that are happening. Just like in Stardew. And, yeah, if you want something that is close to that, then, yeah, I would say Coral Island is the one. There's so many cool little, like, bespoke, I don't know, like, items in the game. Like... Their festivals are so much cooler than like any game in the genre. I feel like um, we'll talk about the game, the mini games in a second. <laughs> but mini games aside, like you were just doing the winter festival, like literally right before we started recording this, and like there was a quiz show, and like the stage had like neon signs of like palm trees and stuff. Like I don't know, it it really it makes the world feel alive in a way that like most other farming games don't like i understand stardew valley he that's just one person like it's harder for him to or more time consuming for him to like make completely unique graphics for like every single thing but he did actually now that mm. i think about it but yeah like uh, coral island is just kind of going above and beyond with that and you've compared it multiple times to like I think specifically like the 3DS era of Pokemon games in terms of how it looks, in terms of like the camera angle and yeah. and um, Yokai watch and Yokai. Sorry, I, <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't have forgot that. Um, yeah, it, it it reminds me of like how I used to feel about how Pokemon looked. Like I understand that Pokemon eventually they had to go like full 3D camera and stuff and and leave behind. I guess actually what I'd most compare it to might be specifically let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee in mm. a way because the graphics are so clean too. Yeah. Um Oh yeah, the mini games. You want to talk about the mini games at the festivals? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't even know what to say about them. <laughs> They're just very unnecessarily hard insane i feel like like uh there's like you doing it like in in competition with the other villagers and there's always this one boy that has like an insanely high amount of 
of points or high score that you have to beat. And not just that, also, yeah, the, the minigames are just very finicky and yeah. and maybe it's also the controls maybe it's easier on pc with a mm. mouse i don't know uh i mean i managed to to beat a lot of them still but some of them I, for the life of me i just cannot <laughs> cannot beat the high score uh yeah i would say they are very finicky but also require an extremely high level of precision <laughs> to pull off um I was doing chores while you were finishing up the Winter Festival, and I heard you yelling about <laughs> the the shooting mini game, and then because like I've helped you with a couple of them, like there's a whack a mole one that I found is cool in theory, but yeah, the controls are just so like stiff, yeah, uh, that it doesn't work. Maybe it's the way. on purpose. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, you know that's the thing, right? Uh, we talk about it, or we're gonna be talking about it with like Stephanie in our Game of the Year podcast at some point, but like. You know, the controls in Stephanie are purposely kind of obtuse and, like, cumbersome. But, like, that's the point because, like, they want you to learn the control scheme and the physics and the platforming. Because, like, if Stephanie controlled, like, Mario Odyssey, it would take out, like, half the appeal because, like, you're not learning anything. Like, Mario Odyssey, you can just do whatever the fuck you want because the controls are so good. That's mm -hmm. not the point in something like Stephanie. That said, Coral Island is not meant to be, like, a skill-based <laughs> game. Um, it's supposed to be a cozy game. Yes, all these cozy gamers out here <laughs> rise up, uh, rebel against the Coral Island overlords, because those minigames are fucked. Oh, yeah, the shooting one. Uh, yeah, I came in here to check. You Your high score was like 140, and you need to get like 180 or above 180, I guess, to yeah. get the first place prize. I'm like, I'll try. And I think I got like negative 10, <laughs> yeah. because I kept shooting the ducks instead of the targets. Uh, like, and what's, what's kind of funny about it is, if you were to like watch footage of someone playing this this specific minigame, you'd be like, yeah, that looks fine. I don't understand what the problem is. That doesn't look bad at all. No, it's pretty fucked. It's yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> um, was there anything else you wanted to say about Coral Island? <sighs> I'm just really enjoying it, just sitting back and relaxing with a good farming game again. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, Fay Farm, I also really like. I have over 80 hours in that also. Uh, but yeah, that also has a lot of problems with bugs. Um, it, it's gotten way better. But the main problem with that game is, and a lot of people having that problem, is that um, the days are way too fast and short. Mm -hmm. So you don't really feel like relaxed and cozy at all. Because it, also the thing is in, in Fae Farm, you get like, I think up to four different farms. I mean, you can teleport in that game and you can just quickly teleport over there and to, uh, get your ch chores done done on your other farm mm -hmm. but still like then there's then there's dlc that they want you to do then there's like yeah fishing or talking to the villagers and, and and just explore or going to the mines gathering ore. like you really feel like okay w what am i going to do now and you really have to plan and uh, no i can't stand around because the time is going and the thing is even in some menus the time is going right. even uh, in decorating mode and in your in yeah in your house and crafting okay crafting i think in some menus they changed it so the time is paused mm -hmm. but yeah it's i don't know i can only play like a few days in fey farm and then i need to stop because it's just <laughs> not yeah and coral island is the opposite you can even you can even um make the days longer like there's a there's a bar mm -hmm. um 
where you can make it like I think 20, 50 and 80. No, I'm not sure. Either way, you can you can make the days longer than the standard or yeah. And and yeah, that's so much more relaxing and cozy and I can just lean back, sip my tea and <laughs> play Coral Island. I think it's hard with with the balancing of something like that, right? Because I look at Stardew Valley, which again, that's like the de facto, like that is the farming game like ever at this point, right? I, I, I can't really, obviously it has inspirations in Harvest Moon, the old Harvest Moons and stuff, but like even Stardew Valley has like that stress factor a little bit. Um, but to me, the stressful gamer, not the cozy gamer, I'm the stressful gamer, uh, like that's part of what made Stardew Valley so good, and I know I know you agree with that too. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the it's your planning, it's giving you context for like what you should be doing and what you can accomplish. Because if you just had unlimited time, you would like you just do everything and then go to bed and wake up and do everything again. Like that's. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not like I want like uh, super long days either. But yeah, if anyone out there that is listening also played Fay Farm. Uh, you know that, yeah, these days, I think a day is 18 minutes mm-hmm. or something. It's just way shorter than in any farming game I've ever played. So, yeah, and, and yeah, like I said, plus having like multiple farms to take care of. Like, yeah. Right. And mines and, yeah, and yeah. all that. Yeah, sure. Um, and breeding flowers. I've seen how much <laughs> yeah. flowers yeah, you've bred. Breeding flowers is kind of like the main thing and the end game in <laughs> Fae Farm. I mean, like I said, I really like this game. I like it a lot. I like the the vibes of it and mm-hmm. I like the graphics. I like that it's fairy themed. I mean, it's not that that this is that original or unique, mm-hmm. but still, like, yeah, it's different. I think it's a u- unique enough take on the genre. Like if Coral Island is just Stardew Valley... But on a tropical island in like an environmentalist theme, I think a a fairy farming sim. I think that's enough of a a, a distinguisher to mm-hmm. to make it stand on its own. But yeah, I played a little bit of Fae Farm when it was part of the free NSO thing, and yeah, it it's cute. Um, but yeah, personally, I would rather play Coral Island from what I've seen. They also did a lot of like very, very good quality of life things that other farming games. I've never, I've never seen that before. For instance, that the tools that you're using, depending on where you're standing, if you're standing in front of a tree or in front of a rock, it's just changing automatically. Mm-hmm. Like your tool is changing to the pickaxe, it's changing to the sickle, it's changing to your axe, and that's just very, very nice. Like, yeah. uh. <laughs> Yeah, when I played Coral Island and now I have to like yeah, press the trigger buttons to skip through all my my tools. Like yeah, I really noticed um how nice that is in Fay Farm to have that. Right, cuz like when you're tending to your crops and stuff, you might you need your your scythe at one point and then you need your shovel at another point and stuff and yeah, you have to manually switch between them on like any of these games that isn't Fay Farm. Mm. Uh yeah, that is a cool feature. Did you have anything else about Coral Island? Or Fae Farm or anything. Did you have any other games you wanted to talk about from this past week? Uh, I mean, I feel like it was a lot a lot of things said about Baldur's Gate. Already. Basically every week on the podcast <laughs> I talk for 20 minutes about Baldur's Gate. It, but if you have anything to say. I mean, I don't... Yeah. Just what everyone is saying, I guess, just praising it to the heavens and how, how much I love this game. And I don't know if I have anything... Um, 
substantial to add to all that. <laughs> I, it doesn't really matter if you have anything substantial to add. If if you want to say something about it, please feel free because I'm just viewing this as an opportunity to have my wife on the podcast. So <laughs> it doesn't matter to me if it's substantial or not. I mean, we talked about... We also said that cozy kind of became like a little annoying term it's recently. A, it's like a catch-all term that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah. Even but, though I get what they are trying to say. But that being said, I think the main thing about Baldur's Gate, for me personally, is that, yeah, it also became a cozy game to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at some point, like, obviously I can't compare it to Animal Crossing because it's completely different. Uh, as everyone knows <laughs> uh, but still like just the feeling turning on Baldur's Gate and sitting down and spending time with it and in this world and yeah exploring and walking around it just gave me the same kind of nice warm feeling that I have when playing Animal Crossing I guess that's my personal thing I can add to that to all the praise and all the yeah all the things that everyone's saying about this game which is really funny because, like, when you turn on Baldur's Gate and get to the title screen, it's like a giant skull door looming large <laughs> over you, yeah. and there's chanting that's like, whereas, yeah, Animal Crossing is literally the exact opposite of that. But no, I totally understand what you mean. It's, it, you and I both had a similar thing with Elden Ring in 2022, where that became like our cozy game. Like, yeah, I'm, even right now, I would gladly like snuggle up under a blanket and get some hot chocolate and just start a new file on Elden Ring also, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I I think you bring up a good point there and one that I don't really see other people talking about that, yeah, Baldur's Gate, it's just... And, we, and we're still playing on like the normal mode too, like on easy mode at this point, especially for how much we know about the game. Like that would probably be real, real cozy, you know. <laughs> yeah. We'd probably be fucking zooming. Um, was there any other game you wanted to shout out this week? Mm. I guess one game that I also played a lot and enjoying a lot is Dave the Diver. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's another game like I feel like everyone loves and said a lot of things about it already. So yeah, I don't know if I... I don't give a fuck. I want to hear what Natasha has to say about Dave the Diver, if you have anything to say about it. Um, I guess, yeah, it's just it's just also another... Well... To, to stick with the cozy theme, <laughs> I actually feel like Dave the Diver isn't. I Just watching you, I a thousand percent agree. Or maybe a little, but not that much as so many people make it out to be. And even one, was it on Steam or something, like a sit back and relax reward mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff? And yeah, I've seen a lot of people on Twitch streaming uh, Dave the Diver that are usually like cozy game yeah. streamers. I was like, what? Because it can be so stressful and there's so much fighting and the boss fights can get very hectic. And yeah, the, the yeah when you're diving, like all these insanely big fish that are hunting you down all of a sudden. And yeah, no, with that game. And, and also the, the restaurant um, simulation, like the sushi restaurant, that also can get very like hectic and you have to run around to bring them their food like on time so they're not getting mad at you and leave. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, no, I, I yeah, I feel way more stressed out with that than with Baldur's Gate now that we're can compare that. I, I mostly <laughs> agree except for dialogue choices. Yeah. Some of the dialogue choices in Baldur's Gate stress <laughs> me the fuck out, especially when it's 
people's lives are on the line or my my relationship with my wife Lazelle is on the line or whatever but but yeah I, I don't mean to say that that's something bad about Dave the Diver yeah. like not at all I'm just saying that yeah I was surprised that so many people are categorizing it as cozy mm-hmm. or like yeah sit back and relax award like hmm like, well, maybe maybe I just I'm just letting myself get stressed out by it. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> other people are just laying there <laughs> casually playing Dave the Diver. So I will say, if I were to do if if Critical Diversions was doing categories for our Game of the Year awards, we're we're not. We're only just doing our top ten Game of the Year. But if we were doing categories, I would probably push for category uh, like most game that I most heard my wife yelping at this year. <laughs> it would definitely be Dave the Diver. Uh, both when you're diving and stumble onto some monstrosity down there or during the the restaurant simulation, usually when you're having to pour beer, there's usually near the end, you're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It It's interesting to me that people call it a cozy game. Thematically, I, I do see it, but like, yeah, it's straight up like an adventure game mm. with, with simulator elements going on. Like, but yeah, like you said, the restaurant simulation isn't that relaxing. It's definitely more, from what I've seen you play of it, uh, is more relaxing now that you have like a whole staff doing stuff, and yeah. it's not just you running around. But yeah, no, it it's interesting, like the what people consider cozy and not, because yeah, there's no way most of these people would consider Baldur's Gate cozy, and I agree with you there that that is like the king cozy game for me this year. And yeah, Dave, Dave the Diver is like. This is a full, like, narrative-oriented, like, adventure game. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that it from you with games? Yeah. Uh, looking at how long we're running already, which I wasn't expecting that to be the case either, that's a... Th- you've never listened to the podcast, but that's, like, a running theme. It's not It's not a joke, because I'm not joking when I say it, but I'll always look down, and I'm like, oh, I've been talking for 40 minutes to myself. I guess I'll have to move on now. It's... It's better now when there's two of us talking to each other. It, it's not as, uh, it doesn't feel as weird that 40 minutes went by. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I So I'm not going to shout out everything I played this week, but I do want to quickly shout out Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. I think I said Cyberfunk. <laughs> uh, that came out, uh, what was that, September 2023. Um, it is a spiritual successor uh in indie spiritual successor to jet set radio um i have no history with the franchise beyond always thinking it looked cool um seth in particular is a huge dork for this shit uh and now that i've played bomb rush cyberpunk i get it um it kind of was my final surprise of the year to the point where i'm i'm not quite done with it i'm near the end but it eked its way onto my top 10 list at number eight um it's really fucking good, y'all. It's one of the better 3D platformers I've played, like, this console generation. I have to think about it, but in terms of, like, pure platformers, probably second only to Mario Odyssey. Um, yeah, it's really fucking good. I'd recommend playing it. It's also, it has the aesthetic and tone of, like, an anime from 2002 that would air at, like, 3 a.m. on Toonami. Um, it's, it's very fucking good. Uh, I, I wrote about it quite a bit in uh, my game of the year list so if you want to hear more thorough thoughts on that or read more thorough thoughts on that you can go there or tune into our game of the year podcast in the next couple weeks because we will for sure talk about it there uh lastly uh, i played started playing a decent chunk of cobalt core 
which to even try and summarize this game briefly, I think is impossible, but it is like a roguelite strategy th- game where you're a bunch of like space animal pilots and you're making your, it's a turn-based strategy thing. So you're in a deck builder. So you're playing cards to fire at other ships and stuff. And you can, uh, you also have like movement, like you have to play cards to get more movement or put shields up and all this stuff. Um, I'm doing it a disservice because, yeah, I, I, I don't want to force my wife to sit here silently while I talk about this for 20 minutes, but also a really fucking good game. Both Bomb Rush and Cobalt Core are on sale. Not Neither are super cheap, uh, super big discounts, but they're decent enough. I think 16 for uh, Cobalt Core. It's definitely one of the better roguelites I played this year. It's, it's no 30XX, but really what is... Um, did you have anything you wanted to say about Cobalt Cordier? I know you watched me play a little bit of it. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty cool. And also, uh, yeah, I saw it mainly because of the the graphics and mm-hmm. the, the cute pixel graphics. And yeah, put it on my wish list on Switch immediately and was also thinking about getting it. And yeah, it looks cool. It looks fun. And ever since I played Ooblets, um, yeah, I'm interested in card deck builders deck builders yeah i never really played that before i think Mm -hmm. so yeah i think ooblets is like a really good starter one of those because the game is just so friendly and there's not much consequence going on and yeah you watching you play ooblets back in 2022 really put me in the mood for more deck builders too so i get it um yeah i think that's it for the games then we're gonna go on our break uh, I'm assuming you want a coffee, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, we're going to go on break. I'm going to get some coffee, and we'll be back. And we're just going to talk about, like, I think what we're going to do is just, like, games we're most looking forward to in 2024, both confirmed games and hypothetical made-up bullshit in our heads, maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
and we're back. And when I say we're back this time, I don't mean it in the royal sense. I mean me and my wife are back, right? Yep, I'm back. <laughs> okay. Um, normally, this would be the part where we talk about news. Um, being the past couple weeks have basically had like almost no gaming news at all besides Xbox toasters and stuff. Figure we just talk about like what we're looking forward to in 2024. I originally was thinking of doing this as like, what are we looking forward to in 2024? And also maybe talking about what we hope to see. Maybe if this goes faster than I think it will, maybe we'll talk about like hypothetical games we'd want, but if not, that's fine. We can just talk about this. You Are you ready for me to go down this list, this curated list of games that I think either you or I or both of us are interested in? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the beginning of this list is just by release date. So we're talking about like January and February games right at the start. The first game I have here, I'm not super interested in, but I'm a little, little interested in is Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. That's coming out on everything uh, on January 18th. So it's pretty soon. Um, have Did you watch any of the footage of this or anything? I think so, but I don't remember that much about it. It was revealed probably at Summer Game Fest, I think. Um, definitely revealed, like, summer-ish time of 2023. Um, it's like a Metroidvania take on the Prince of Persia series. And I didn't know this until a couple of weeks ago when Wilkins texted us about it, but it apparently is being worked on by a lot of, a lot of the people that made Rayman Origins and Legends, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the footage looks good. It apparently runs at a locked 60 frames and 1080p on Switch, which is where I would be most interested in picking up a game like this. Um, it reminds me a lot of Metroid Dread, but with a Prince of Persia aesthetic. So that, that sounds pretty... It sounds okay for what it is, you know? Yeah. Do you have any experience with Prince of Persia, any of them? Yeah. Uh, back in the day, my dad and I were playing the original... Prince of Persia on Super Nintendo? That sounds... was it NES? No. It probably was not NES. I'm not... I have no experience with any Prince of Persia game. Either way, yeah, we played that and we we really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun and yeah, it's a pretty cool game. Uh, I don't know much about, yeah, that uh, remake. Not remake. It's, just, a, it's just, just a new Prince of Persia game. Yeah, don't yeah. know that much about it. I, I don't know if I w- would be still interested in playing such a game uh but yeah back then with my dad it was it was very cool right the original 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 prince of persia is like a rotoscoped like very overly animated like adventure side scrolling game like it it's not again i've never played it you would know better than i do but yeah it's not very actiony right it, no. like there is a little bit of it, sword fighting yeah, the, yeah there's sword fighting sequences but most of it is yeah platforming mm-hmm. like uh, very finicky i would even compare it a little to dark souls in the sense of the like maneuvering and jumping like that you have to uh, press specific buttons like you have to run and then press mm-hmm. the jumping button right otherwise you can't even jump right like in, in i forget which or dark souls like in, in one of the dark Dark Souls, you have to like run and then also like click in the left stick or something to jump. Yeah, it's very goofy. yeah. In the original Prince of Persia, you you had to like get momentum. You you had to have like to go back into the last screen and then run and then jump at the right time. And then there were tiles that would even like crumbling down when you step on them. And mm-hmm. it 
yeah, it was very cool and it was kind of mysterious back then. And yeah. I, I feel like everyone I know that played the original Prince of Persia back when it was new, they all talk about like, yeah, the atmosphere yeah, yeah, and exactly. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, from what I've seen of this, this doesn't look like it's going for that really at all, uh, okay. which is fine. I, I don't think, you know, there was like the, the PS2 and GameCube and Xbox era re- uh, reboots i guess or reboot series and then there's a 2008 reboot of the reboot and stuff um i've never played any of them i'm curious about this i know seth just got this he's under embargo or whatever and he can't talk about it, but he just got this last night i'm curious about it i'm always down for like a a cool bigger budget metroidvania only one of those recently has been metroid dread so i mean i really enjoyed raymond legends so yeah yeah, Rayman Legends, and in particular Rayman Origins, those are two really fucking good side-scrolling platformers, so I would be curious to see like them doing a more action-oriented Metroidvania, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, probably my second most hyped game of the year, and out on January 24th, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Yeah. <laughs> what are we thinking about this one? Yeah, I'm I'm very very excited about that because I love uh, Yakuza Seven, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, having the same characters in it again makes me very excited for that one. I don't know if I've ever. Well, we probably talked about this at some point. Ichiban is hands down my favorite protagonist in any of the Yakuza games. Is he? Did he reach that level for you, or is like Majima still up there? I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, he definitely has a lot more personality than Kiryu mm-hmm. but I don't know there's you know there's just something about the the old comfy <laughs> Kiryu that yeah I'm not sure who I like more well and that's the thing in this one you don't have to choose because yeah. they're both in it yeah that's true um this is also a good time to talk about this we haven't talked about this at all who's playing it am I watching you play this one like we did with uh with like a dragon Hmm, yeah, we have to figure that out. I didn't even think about it. I didn't... Oh, we just, we're just taking turns. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, I, before my wife and I lived together, I streamed Yakuza 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 for my wife uh, over Twitch. And then when I lived here, or rather, like, like a Dragon, Yakuza Like a Dragon, sorry, it's so confusing, came out while I was in Germany and then because it was like a turn-based RPG and my wife was more interested in playing something like that for herself. I was the one that watched her do it. And yeah, that was a lot of fucking fun. Mm. A lot of good memories of watching you do that. And then you handing me the controller to play the, the management mini game, which I ended up falling in love with. And yeah, yeah. Very excited for that. The fact that that's out in just a few weeks, not even a few, like a couple of weeks. That's nuts. Um, next up, I had written Mario versus Donkey Kong. Again, I want to emphasize these aren't necessarily games that like I'm super jacked for or that Natasha is super jacked for, but some of these are just like notable ones that I thought we could at least like talk about a little bit. Um, did you ever play the Game Boy Advance original Mario versus Donkey Kong? No, I only played the like the original one, like the old one. Donkey Kong 94, I think people call it on Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is you've seen the footage this is it is a direct follow-up to donkey kong 94 which my personal opinion is donkey kong 94 is the best 2d mario game ever made um so i don't my memory is that the gba game isn't anywhere near as good but it's still pretty damn good for what it is 
Um, the biggest problem I had with the original Mario versus Donkey Kong is that it was all done with like, you know, it's like Donkey Kong Country style where they made the characters in 3D, but then converted them to sprites to make it run on the hardware. Mm-hmm. But the Game Boy Advance screen is so small and like the character sprites are so much smaller than like Donkey Kong Country sprites. So like Mario just looks like a fucking like he looks like a pile of like vomit on your screen. Like he doesn't look like anything. Uh, also really like that was the GBA era was like the height of Nintendo being like, hey, let's just add voice clips to everything, you know, because, oh, yeah, the GBA processor and like there's enough data on the cartridge or space on the cartridge. So Mario's constantly just going like, but coming out of the shitty GBA speakers, it's horrible. So a remake is actually pretty cool. Um, I'm not sold. I think this is like 50 bucks. I think that's a little much for what this is, which is, you know, it was like a 25 or $30 Game Boy Advance puzzle platformer back in 2003, but it's cool. If you've never played Mario vs. Donkey Kong and you've always wanted a sequel to Donkey Kong 94. This is literally that, and you should probably check it out. Uh, next up, my most hyped game of the year, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about Final Fantasy VII Rebirth? I know you said you ended like you watched streams of like Gronk, a big German streamer, playing it, and that you liked the characters and story more than you thought you were going to. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's still nothing i would want to play myself i think but that doesn't mean that i think it's not good or anything mm-hmm. quite the opposite i think the game uh, looks pretty great and yeah i i started watching a stream like you said and yeah I, I was just very entertained by it and i liked i enjoyed watching it a lot so yeah uh remake did this thing where it kind of felt like it was there it was square enix trying to be like okay those Yakuza games have gotten real popular lately. Let's make our take on a Yakuza game, but it largely... Like, the story was as good as a Yakuza game, but it was, like, the the stuff on the the outskirts of, of it that wasn't as good. Like, a lot of cloud having to sidle along, like, like walls and shit. That's just, like, a waste of time. Um, I'm very excited to see what they do with an open-world sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, again, I'm I'm not even like a Final Fantasy VII fanboy. I spent five years just assuming remake was gonna be fucking awful, and it really shocked me how good it was. But that is out February 29th. Oh, is this a fucking leap year? Wow, that's how I find yeah, out yeah. it's a leap year because of the Final Fantasy VII <laughs> release date. Um, next up, both on March 22nd, Dragon's Dogma 2 and Princess Peach Showtime. Um, you want to start with Princess Peach? I mean, we didn't really see that much. Yeah, we haven't uh, about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it just looks like yeah, she's going to like different kind of stages, mm-hmm. like worlds, equivalents for worlds, probably. But yeah, I still have like no idea what that's gonna be about. Mm-hmm. But it looks interesting. I'm down if it's like a maybe a puzzle game. Probably would be my guess. Or it depends on what the worlds are because mm. because in that one scene she is wearing like that costume of a what is it called in English fencer? Yeah, I right? think it's just called a fencer. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? Maybe there is gonna be some some combat, which I think that would be a good idea to do with Peach. I think they should go away from just always 
having peach like like doing nothing really yeah. you know or uh -huh. just just walking around and i mean that's also good i'm not saying that's complete bullshit or anything but i feel like they should also give her some more power and some more energy than just yeah i'm i'm the princess and i'm just doing princess things <laughs> so you're saying you want princess peach so showtime to be the dark souls of mario games yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah i i don't have many thoughts about this i think it's it, like about time they make like a bigger budget princess peach standalone game especially after the movie and all the kids are super excited like i feel like princess peach sentiment is at an all-time high that makes it sound like i'm actually talking about like a, a monarchy or something that like <laughs> like the princess peach's approval ratings are through the roof right now ever since that movie came out uh but yeah it just nintendo for all, as much as i love the games they make they have so far to go in terms of like representation and shit in their game so it's nice that peach is getting this it doesn't i'm guessing it's going to be like a um more for kids yes and, yeah but which is, is good yes. i mean i think she gained a lot of fans uh, among like probably specifically young girls mm -hmm. so yeah it's good to make games for them also and not just for us grown-up fans that have been fans since we were little right uh yeah the 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 new fans also want stuff to play with right i mean like and that's not to say that it can't be good just because it's made for kids, because yeah. mo the vast majority of Nintendo games are still made for kids, and they still manage to be entertaining to at least most of the adults I know. Um, I just From what very little we've seen, it just seems like it's going to explicitly be for kids, and like you said, that is totally fine. I have no problems with that. It just it isn't super on my radar or something I'm like excited for beyond just seeing how cute it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Dragon's Dogma 2... Uh, you, pr I don't think you have too much to say about that beyond, I we saw some footage and yeah. I think you said the, the magic looks sick. I only saw, I don't know, maybe three minutes of footage or four, I don't know. Mm. But yeah, what I saw looks very interesting and yeah, I would, I would be down to like check that out. Maybe if there's a, I don't know if they put out a demo or whatever, but. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Capcom loves putting out demos lately, so I wouldn't be surprised if there is a demo down the road, mm. but, um. Yeah, I tried playing the original Dragon's Dogma, or the Switch port of Dragon's Dogma, and it seemed really neat. I just wasn't in the mood for it at the time. I keep thinking about trying to give it another shot. I hear nothing but good things from, like, the real heads that have invested time into the game, but it seems like, even more so than something like Dark Souls, like, you really have to, like, invest some fucking time into the game, and... To me, it looked it looked like a better and cooler Skyrim almost, which I'm also still. I mean, I own it. I got it for just seventeen euro on my Switch when it was on sale, and yeah, I'm still looking forward to play Skyrim. And yeah, that's what that reminded me of. But yeah, with more characters and classes, mm -hmm. and yeah. My, the way I would try and explain it or whatever is. Like, Skyrim is, like, a very traditional Western, like, open-world, open-ended RPG. Whereas Dragon's Dogma, the first one at least, that is, like, it's Capcom being like, hey, we should try and do what we did for Monster Hunter, but, like, insert it into an RPG, kind of. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, a middle ground between Monster Hunter and full-on, like, Skyrim, I guess. that. I know sometimes we complain about the way gamers compare yeah. games to other games, but in terms of like some kind of shorthand, like I think this has just as much just as much in common with Monster Hunter as it does 
um, like a traditional Western RPG kind of thing, if that makes sense. But yeah, maybe there are probably people that have played Dragon's Dogma that are would tell me I'm a fucking idiot for <laughs> saying that, but I don't know. Uh, next up, this is a this is a Natasha joint on April 23rd. We've got Auden Chronicle 100 Heroes that's coming to I think everything looks like. Uh, as the biggest Suikoden fan I know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I am uh, very, very excited about that one uh, because, yeah, I played Suikoden back, I don't know, when it, no, not probably not when it came out, but yeah, when it was released here on PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. And it is still to this day one of my favorite JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, hearing that the same team, which is not part of Konami anymore, right? Right they make like a spiritual successor to that yeah i got very very excited Mm -hmm. and you played that was a kickstarter project and then one of the the kickstarter goals was that they would make oh yeah chronicles rising something like that like a a, a little mini spin-off prequel (laughs) thing that was just like a side scrolling thing which yeah that one was also pretty cool i didn't fully finish it but almost (laughs) it's not that long of a game i think 15 to 20 hours Mm -hmm. or something and it uh, there's like three characters in there that's also gonna be they're also gonna be in uh the union chronicles that is coming out soon so yeah um, it's funny because we're also going to be talking about Suikoden later on because they are remastered. Hell, we can just talk about that now, I guess, yeah. but let's just talk about both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, cause you mentioned Suikoden already. What is like so special to you about Suikoden? Not just like your memories of it, but like what makes it stand out to you for the record? I know what it is, <laughs> but people probably don't know. Cause I don't think many people have played Suikoden. I guess the the graphics style, first of all, like visually, it just uh, sticks out, especially back then, mm-hmm. um, because the the backgrounds are just have like a kind of almost like a three D look mm-hmm. to them, and then there's these pixel graphics. Also, they do like these weird, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. These weird like camera movements where the camera is shifting but in pixel and it kind of looks like jittery almost yeah Yeah. uh so yeah that's for one visually that was a very interesting to me back then and uh yeah the fact that there's like 108 uh party members Mm -hmm. that you can recruit and that you, that you have to find and unlock with quests. I mean, it, it depends. Some of them are just joining you because of story reasons, but some of them you have to get out of your way to find. So that also made it like very replayable that, okay, I'm starting another file of this and try to get this character mm-hmm. this time and using... Because, yeah, there's no way you can use... I mean, you could, I guess, but, but using yeah. all of the 108 party members in one place playthrough so yeah that was also very very interesting that you can mix and match and oh yeah this time i tried this character he Mm -hmm. looks so cool and i never tried before and yeah that's just that was just very special and interesting about it and also yeah also just the story is very good Mm -hmm. and oh there's also um the fact that there's a, a like a tactical strategy section of the game like it's divided in in yeah classic uh rpg and then there's some scenes where you have to fight um, a strategy. Ah. What's it called? A strategy game. Yes. Like mm-hmm. like uh, Fire Emblem. Right. Um, against the villains. 
and uh, recruit your your army and and place your army strategically and yeah um is there also like a base building thing going or like a town building thing i think i've heard people say that before but yeah. Yeah, there is. I don't remember, actually. I mean, it's been very long since I played it. Over 20 years, probably. Mm. The last time I played it. Uh, but yeah, there was something like that. Uh, yeah, I bring that up because uh, I played Chained Echoes last year, which ended up being one of my favorite JRPGs ever. It's not even Japanese. It's German. GRPG, I guess. Um, <laughs> and that had like a baser, like village building mechanic that people were comparing to Suikoden, and that made me very interested um, and I, I don't think I said it before, but yeah, Aoden Chron- let me get the full name real quick. Yeah, Aoden Chronicle 100 Heroes, that's out April 23rd, that is the spiritual successor done by a lot of the same team, including the director, to the Suikoden series, but also we kind of pivoted a little bit into Suikoden 1 and 2 HD Remaster, Gate Run and Dunin Unification Wars is the entire <laughs> okay. title of it. Um, that is all, that was slated for last year, but got delayed mm. The remaster. Yeah, I definitely also can't wait for that one. Obviously, you just heard me talk about how much I like yeah. <laughs> the original when I played it like over 20 years ago. Uh, my dad also my last year because I told him, "Hey, did you did you see they're remaking Suikoden?" And yeah, he was asking me like every month, "Hey, when is that coming out? You told me about it. Like, where is it?" Yeah, uh, Helmut is the most hardcore RPG nerd I know, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I, he's like, "Yeah, just just let me know when that's out." Just- <laughs> <laughs> and now, yeah, like a few what was it? A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I don't know when they announced that, but yeah, I had to tell him. Hey, <laughs> you had to break the bad news. It, yeah, it's it's delayed. Um, real quick before we move on from Suikoden, I noticed both from watching you play the Auden spinoff game and also the the trailer for Auden Chronicle, a lot of cool little fucked up dudes. A lot of, like there's shark men and kangaroo men and stuff. Yeah. Uh, tell me, because those are party members. They're not just random characters or whatever in Auden Chronicle. Those are party members. Uh. What's the fucked up little dude situation like in Suikoden? Like how many how many little little fuckers do we got as party members? <laughs> I don't remember any sharks or anything. I think Damn. that's probably new. But yeah, there's like dogs and mm. rats and mice. I think um or raccoon. I think okay, you know, okay. or rat panda or something. Yeah, there's definitely like animal people like that also in the original. We love to see it. Mm. <laughs> Um, next up, another another Natasha joint up in here, uh, Moonstone Island for the Switch. Yeah. That is, I think it was slated for April, um, but they didn't give a specific date, but they did say it was either April or spring. Um, do you want to give a brief overview on, uh, on Moonstone Island? I, the name completely blanked for a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is there to say about it? So it's another like uh, farming game, mainly, mm-hmm. but not all. Uh, not only because it has like a Pokemon-like buddy companion collector also, and the battles are with cards. So it's also kind of like, a, I mean, I don't know how much it is a deck builder or you just like the cards are just your moves. I don't know if you're actually building your deck or if it's just, yeah, the moves you're getting. My hunch is that the deck building is like the party building. Like it's kind of yeah. like like Cobalt Core, like the characters you select or the creatures that you select in your party, that <laughs> determines what cards you have is my guess, but I don't know. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, also very excited about that. I liked it the first moment <laughs> I saw the first trailer and was like, yeah, this looks amazing. And on top of that, they also put uh, Red Lad, who is like <laughs> a who is a little like radish, red radish uh, mm. guy from Ooblets. They collaborated and they put him in into Moonstone Island mm -hmm. as a party member. So yeah, also was very excited about that. <laughs> A lot of games with uh, party members and deck building and fucked up little dudes <laughs> running around. Um, yeah, uh, from what I have seen of it, it's a, it's been out on PC for a little while, right? Like it was an early access, but it's fully it's on one point right now, right? Yeah, um, it's not on Switch yet. Right. Um, yeah, the sprites are very gorgeous. They remind me of like the GBA era of Pokemon sprites, kind of. I think also you're an alchemist. There's alchemy mm -hmm. that you're doing. Yeah, you can, yeah, just like any farming game, you can decorate your house. And it takes place in like Sky Islands. Mm -hmm. and you're, like you're Yeah, yeah, you can fly around on a broomstick. Yeah. Uh, everyone on this <laughs> podcast knows, and you know that I love Sky Islands. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, we're we're out of the the realm of firm release dates, and these are all just listed as 2024. Um, Angeline Era is a Matt Matt Ass Murray joint. Uh, that is the next game from Analgesic Productions, the uh, team that brought us Anodyne Two and Stephanie. Um, have you ever seen the original East games? That's YS. It's called like I played East Eight Lacrimosa of Donna on Switch, but that's like a three D. Did you not also play a older one? You saw me a few months ago playing um, East Origin, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but that's all I know or all I've ever seen about these games. So the original East games, like they're RPGs for the Turbo Graphics, um, but. They're not turn-based, and but they're also, like, they have their weird own take on actions. Like, you're not pressing a button to swing your sword around. You're bumping into enemies. Like, you have to position yourself. And, like, so if an enemy has a shield, you want to get to their side or their back. So, like, you're running around and then just bumping into them, kind of. It's very goofy, but also people apparently like them a lot. I've never played any of the, of the original East games, but they have uh, they have a big fan base. Um, the soundtracks are insane. They have that uh, early '90s like CD video game sound. That red band audio, I believe it was called, a lot of electric guitars and chants and bullshit like that. Um, Angeline era is uh, Analgesic Productions' take on that kind of combat, where you're running around and jumping, but bumping into. They they specifically coined the term "bump slash combat," <laughs> which is very good. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think my top three games, at least announced games, are Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, uh, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, and Angeline Era. I am after Stephanie. I was already a huge fan of Analgesic after Anodyne Two, but Stephanie like launched them into the next stratosphere for me. Like I, I am down for anything that they put out in the future. And uh, Melos. Uh, half of the team over at Analgesic and the composer for all their games has already released like the world map theme and it's fucking incredible. So that's pretty high up my list. I'm assuming you don't have anything to say no, about, okay. I, I don't know enough. About yeah. Those games. Yeah, that's fair. Um, next up, I wrote down another crab's treasure. Um, that is like an indie souls like game, but you're playing as a crab and, 
And that sounds like it's like meant to be a, a big joke, but really, from what footage I've seen, I don't think it is. Like it's it's genuinely taking it's cute and and silly, but it, it's taking like the gameplay conceit seriously. And like you're a crab, so you're you're going into you're finding shells to go inside, and then what shell you're inside determines like what special moves you have. In, in that sense, is even more like I mean, yeah, you mentioned Souls games. I mm. guess that is also a Souls like, but Mortal Shell. Mm-hmm. It's it's even more like that one because I think that has kind of like the same uh, feature that you're finding armor and mm-hmm. stuff and that uh, determines what abilities you have. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I've still never played Mortal Shell. I know both of us were interested in it. We have it for free on PlayStation. We should probably just play it one of these days. But, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of specifically a Mortal Shell-like if such a thing exists. And, yeah, it's really... It seems like it has a really good like sense of style and humor. Like there's one of the shells you can get is a like a aluminum aluminum soda can, and like there's like some bubble popping move that you have when, when you're when you're in that shell. But yeah, it just looks really good. Looks really um, like high budget for what mm-hmm. for what you would expect from something like that. Also, just very cartoony and good. Um, Next up, Splatoon 3 Side Order DLC. The single-player Splatoon 3 DLC. You have invested way more time into Splatoon in general than I have, but specifically also the Splatoon 2 DLC. So, as someone that spent a lot of time with... uh, What was the the Splatoon DLC? Splatoon 2 DLC called? Uh, Something with Octo. Oh, the Octo expansion. Yeah, just th- Octo expansion, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, as someone that put a lot of time into Octo expansion, more than I have, and what what time I spent with it was really cool, but it's also just very hard. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Splatoon 3 side order? I mean, I love Splatoon, yeah. for once. Uh, <laughs> excited about, yeah, this new DLC, but also, yeah, we haven't really seen much. Yeah, we've seen like next to nothing. It, it looks very cool. I really like that aesthetic with like all white mm-hmm. and uh, very clean. So maybe they're doing something there with with the ink because yeah, we all we're used to just seeing like colors all and, over the place and making a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm very curious about what what they're going for with that with that kind of theme but yeah it looks it looks very interesting do you think there's going to be any like because the big thing with octo expansion was it really expanded on the the lore of the octolings and beating it you even unlocked the ability to play as an octoling in yeah. in the multiplayer because, of splatoon because they were always kind of like the enemies right. of the inklings but then yeah they in the story they they made it so that that they became your friends or that not all octolings are bad they're just very interested in like weapons and technology mm-hmm. and yeah that w- that was very interesting i right. hope i hope i don't know like i said we don't know what what their plan is with this dlc but i hope maybe they're expanding on that idea let me play as a small fry let me let me <laughs> yeah. let me unlock the ability to yeah. be a small fry. Yeah, we had we had the little small fry companion. I wonder if they are doing that again. Yeah. Or yeah, something different. I I just I think it's so cool to have DLC that like unlocks like a whole new even though it doesn't change anything gameplay wise, like Octolinks have their own hairstyle, they have some of their own animations, like victory animations and stuff. Like it's just a really cool little attention to detail. 
Um, so I hope they have some kind of like reward for, especially if it's as hard as the two DLC was. Some people are also speculating that it's actually like Pearl and Marina. Mm -hmm. Is that the name of yeah. them in English? Yeah, that it has something to do with them because they are the only ones that are missing. Right, and that robot in the trailer, the drone, yeah. is shaped like Pearl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it looks like it might have something to do with them. Also, because the final Splatfest of 2 was the Order versus Chaos and Chaos 1, and then that's why Splatoon 3's world is like looks like kind of Mad Maxi, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, that's a really cool thing. Um, I still hope that Splatoon 4, they really take a look at the series and like really make a new thing. Obviously, you don't, like, you don't need to change the entire DNA, but... I want a bigger change from 3 to 4 than we got going from 2 to 3, but as like a send-off to Splatoon 3, I think side-order DLC would be pretty cool. Also, where is the Splatoon spin-off game? I know. I know. <laughs> I think... I guess we, we have these the DLCs, like the single-player mode, that kind of like is its own little spin-off thing from the main mm -hmm. competitive game. But yeah, I wish they would make, I don't know, a Metroidvania would be cool. Like even even side-scrolling or something. Right, because you have a lot of like, like Metroidvania games are all about like your mobility options and the ability to access new areas that you couldn't before. Like Splatoon already has all that built in with like the different like behaviors of how ink shoots out of different weapons and grenades and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know what Nintendo is thinking when it comes to like Splatoon spinoff stuff, because yeah, the, you know, single player DLC is fucking awesome, but yeah, you still need to own the base game. Mm -hmm. to, so you're not, you're not drawing in a wider base. If anything, you're drawing in a narrower yeah. base to your to your um dlc with that um but yeah i'm looking forward to that uh next up visions of mana which was announced not too long ago was that i think that was at the game awards uh, i think that was announced for everything but switch i wouldn't be surprised if it's coming to the switch too um did you have any I, I showed you the trailer when that dropped did you have any thoughts about visions of mana as someone i keep saying this but you are the biggest secret of mana fan that i know <laughs> I mean, yeah, my first thought it was that it just looks amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we, we were seeing that it's people were thinking it's open world. Uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to that, but now I read that it's actually like uh, semi open mm -hmm. or something. So it's probably di divided into sections, which that's also cool. But yeah, again, here we, do we don't know enough right. about it yet, but it definitely looks amazing already. Right. Like visually. Yeah. Uh, like I like secret of mana. I, I like the idea of it more than actually playing it in 2024. Um, like, I first played it in 2008 on the Wii Virtual Console, and I loved it there. But, yeah, in recent years, I've cooled a bit on Secret of Mana, at least as a game. But as, like, a, in terms of its tone and world and aesthetic and soundtrack, it is basically, like, second to none on the Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like... I never played the original Trials of Mana or uh, Second Densetsu 3. Uh, I did play the remake on Switch a couple of years ago, and I th I thought thought it was pretty good. It wasn't anything amazing, but it's like a B game, pretty damn good. Um, but even there, they never like recaptured the feel of Secret of Mana. Even the remake of Secret of Mana that came out on like PS4 and Vita. Ugh. I mean, yeah, that if anything, that did the opposite of capturing the feel. Like they let yeah. the f the feel go and didn't care at all. 
Um, you can tell that with visions of mana that they are like, that's what they're, they know that like their bread is buttered with secret of mana. That like the series goodwill has been basically going since secret of mana and they've never really recaptured it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that they're, they're leaning into it. Like the, fa- the font of like the logo and stuff is definitely evoking. Yeah. And they're standing in front of the giant the, mana tree mm-hmm. again. Like, yeah. Yeah, it they they know like they get it and 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 I hope. yes yes let me emphasize it seems like they at least know what is appealing to people from like an imagery perspective of of secret of mana so I hope uh, I hope they're able to deliver another thing I played all the all the way back then I mm-hmm. played with my dad so yeah I I have to tell him I didn't even tell him yet that they're gonna make a new one <laughs> I feel like. Now, you and I agree that Visions of Mana looks fucking cool. Uh, Again, it almost has like a Genshin Impact look Mm -hmm. going on, which makes sense for 2024. Like, that's how you appeal to a wide swath of people. I feel like it might be too anime for your dad, but then again, he liked Dragon Quest XI, so so maybe he'd like it. Um, We'll have to get him a more powerful system to play Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, the most Natasha-ass game on this list, Tales of the Shire. How do you feel about Tales of the Shire, even though there's literally been nothing but yeah. like a logo revealed? So that is probably my hypothetical dream game since years and years. I was always, I mean, I played, uh, I don't know if anyone who's listening to this uh, knows about this or ever played it, but Lord of the Rings Online, which is also one of my favorite games, mm-hmm. which is funny to say about an MMO. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people out there which favorite game is um, World of Warcraft, probably. Yeah, even so Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I loved uh, Lord of the Rings Online and um, I was disappointed that so many like not MMO games uh, like Lord of the Ring Rings IPs are just like action games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which... Again, that's nothing bad. I'm not saying they're bad games or whatever, but... Uh, it's not necessarily what I want, yeah. I, or solely what I want from that. So so then I started thinking, especially when I was playing a lot of uh, farming games at the time, I was like, why is there no Hobbit farming game? <laughs> the like, question we've all asked. <laughs> it just makes so much sense. And yeah, in, in Lord of the Rings Online, there's also so many side things and little side quests uh in the shire um that you can do and there's like uh there there's a minstrel class and you can uh, play music uh you do it to attack enemies but you can also just stand there just much like in uh, Baldur's Gate 3 you mm-hmm. just stand there and play music you you were even t- able to put like midi files into into your uh folder of of the game and then you could just um type in something and then uh yeah your character would play that song Mm -hmm. um people were making were doing uh concerts in (laughs) in uh brie is that how it's pronounced Mm -hmm. yeah uh and all that kind of stuff and yeah there is all there was already so much coziness in lord of the rings online that none of the um not online games were doing like what? Like back then, the only other Lord of the Rings games coming out were like the the brawlers from like yeah. EA. I mean, I actually quite liked Return of the King at the time. I doubt it's good now, but yeah, like 
there was one turn-based RPG that came out single player by EA. I hear it's pretty bad, mm-hmm. but at least they were trying. You know, at least they realized like, why don't we do something to appeal to that subset of nerds instead of just making an action game out of it? You know, so th- they at least tried a little bit, but not much. I, yeah, I I just have so many ideas for for a hobbit farming game like you could like try and get your reputation up with like the different hobbit clans and with some, with some of them it's harder because yeah we know that they're always like a kind of like a family feud yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> like some of them at least like yeah some uh, hobbits are very uh, complicated mm-hmm. uh, and grumpy so yeah that would be interesting you could even yeah y- stealing crops or something could be a thing for your for your farm like yeah there's just so much stuff you could do with it and uh, go to the pubs and having your what is it like three breakfasts Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and picnics and yeah there's just endless ideas that i would have for this game and then all of a sudden i don't know when it was yeah, last year at some point, yeah. it, it just kind of out of nowhere. There's like, hey, we're making a Hobbit farming game. I was like, what? <laughs> I think I think I saw the announcement on like Twitter or Reset Era, and I was like, uh, dear. <laughs> Finally, they're doing and and so obviously, yeah, we don't know what exactly it's gonna be, and who knows? Maybe I'm gonna be super disappointed because they're not putting anything in there what I just talked about, mm-hmm. and it's just gonna be generic and boring. Uh, but so far, what I what I'm seeing and what I saw in that that little teaser, it looks yeah, they they already um, nailed the vibe mm-hmm. uh, with. Was there even music? I think there was music. Ambient music in the background, and there was a person sitting at a desk, right? And they were writing or... Oh, I don't even think... Into a book? I don't even remember if there was that. Yeah, it was. Okay. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) And then, yeah, you see the logo, and the logo, yeah, already looks Mm. uh, amazing. I like it a lot. So, yeah, that, that is my most anticipated game for this year, probably. And yeah, I just really, really hope it's gonna it's gonna be good because then uh, you're never you're never gonna see me again. For <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't hope it's good. Then I hope it sucks ass. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, there's so much to be done with Lord of the Rings in general that it just feels like, or not even Lord of the Rings specifically, but Middle Earth in general. And um, it's nice that they're doing something different yeah. with it, and we're not just getting another. Hey, we're retelling Lord of the Rings for the seventh time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope I as long as you promise not to just disappear. I, <laughs> I hope it's good for you. I'll, I'll lend my energy to that. But yeah, it's funny because like yeah, we literally have nothing but like that logo and that what the, I don't know what you'd call it, like a like a vibe mm. from it. Um, but yeah, the the vibes are right. The vibes yeah. are they're 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 at least selling the vibes right. So. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to hit on? Otherwise, I think we're about done. Was there any other, like, any hopes that you have for, like, a Nintendo Direct besides a Switch 2? Mm, oh, yeah. Actually, I mean, I've I've been hoping for this okay. <laughs> since years, since, since it was announced in Japan. Uh. I really, really, really want... The Yokai Watch One remaster for the Switch. Uh-huh. I love that game a lot, yeah. and 
yeah that would make me so happy if they're finally gonna be like hey we're bringing that to the switch because it already exists right <laughs> like i would also be fine if they would just put it out digitally like mm. as a download on the eShop. Uh, although the cover, um, the box art is amazing. It's just Jibanyan, giant Jibanyan. Mm, face, yeah. <laughs> His face, yeah, and it just says Yokai Watch Remaster for Switch, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want that even more than 4. I don't know if Yokai Watch 4 is ever going to come out mm. uh, in the West. I don't know. I kind of lost hope for that one. But yeah. who knows? Because now level 5 is starting to come back a little, although it seems a little messy with all, <laughs> all the, the delays. Yeah, all the delays and promises and now it's like, "Hey, I mean, it's fine." I no like like Nintendo is also delaying things and then it turns out it was a good uh decision to do that because it made the quality of the game even better. I'm I'm no one that is uh completely against that i think that's most of the time it's a good thing to do that but still though it seems a little messy and yeah, yeah but like yeah. let let them cook but maybe you shouldn't have announced all of them at once <laughs> yeah. if they had to cook so much but yeah that is something i i doubt i'm gonna i'm gonna get it but <laughs> see you say that but that, i don't know where they announced a sequel to fantasy life so yeah. i don't think it's impossible i think We've talked about this privately for years. I think Nintendo was the one that was publishing Yokai Watch games outside of Japan, and it sounds they also published um, Snack Snack World Snack. Snack World outside of Japan. And then shortly after that, like I think in like the summer of 2020, there was some interview where like someone from Level Five was like, "Yeah, we don't we don't want that like." specific partnership with nintendo anymore so i don't know if they just don't know how to try and publish and, and appeal to the west with yokai watch it was decently popular like it was obviously it wasn't on pokemon levels in, in germany specifically and france i think uh, yokai watch was a huge thing yeah. and it blew up so it's not like and there's a lot of like when i look into forums or youtube or whatever when they're commenting under under uh, yokai watch videos or soundtracks yeah everyone wants this remake real mm -hmm. bad yeah. so or remaster yeah, it's very slice of lifey from what I've seen of it. I've never played any Yokai Watch game. I just, I know how big of a fan you are of them. Um, they are amazing. <laughs> more, more people should just get over the oh, it's just another like Pokemon clone because it's definitely not. It's completely different, and and I don't want to shit on Pokemon games. No, but. do it. I I went on like a twenty minute rant last week on the podcast about Pokemon. Um. I mean, I still love Pokemon, just not, yeah, the recent games that much anymore. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love all, like, like, the Pokemon themselves. I still like a lot, and I would love a good quality Pokemon again. But, uh, yeah, Yokai Watch has all of that already, and more. Like, there's an actual, like, story. It's an RPG, mm -hmm. and... Um, even yeah, like all the yokai have their own background story and there is stuff going on with them and the people around them and i would i wish they would do the same thing with pokemon it's very funny because this is literally like exactly what i was saying about pokemon <laughs> on the podcast last week yeah. so uh the world knows where the murrays stand when it comes to what they want out of pokemon at this point i think um did you have anything else you want to say about yokai watch either the remaster that you want on switch or the series in general 
just like I said, I feel like more people, if you want like a good RPG with like a monster buddy mm -hmm. uh, feature, then yeah, you should definitely play them. I think uh, they're hidden gems. They shouldn't be because I mean, for for a per period of time, it, it even looked like it was gonna kicking Pokemon off the throne, at least in Japan. Yeah, in Japan, it was huge for like six years or something like that and i think that marketing was just not as good in the west mm -hmm. um and they came out too close to each other like one two and three just came out too close to each other yeah and, yeah uh that was probably bad for the games but they are very very good yeah and more people should play it that's what i want to say about it I'm I'm glad I got to give you a soapbox as tiny of a soapbox as it is. At least, hey, we we get double digit listens on all these episodes. There's, there are at least ten people in the world that are going to hear you say, hear you cheerleading for Yokai Watch out there. So what what more could you ask for? It's not just me and the cat hearing yeah. hearing you go off about Yokai Watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, from my perspective, I don't think it's an impossibility. I I personally, I thought a sequel to Fantasy Life coming out seemed way more far-fetched to me than them eventually you think, yeah <laughs> yeah you would think <laughs> um real quick i just want to get on my soapbox for like two seconds um in terms of like a dream game announcement for me it will continue to always be like a paper kirby game in uh, or even just like a turn-based kirby rpg in general um though I, I think i would prefer it with like the paper mario aesthetic but that's all I want. Just give me a turn-based Kirby game. That, that's literally all I want. I think it could be so fucking cool. Um, oh, also, because of something I see on the TV right now, remake Earthbound, Nintendo. Jesus Christ. Just make it look like Mario RPG remake. Just fucking do it. Please. Uh, but I think that's it, though, dear. Unless you have anything else you want to say about anything before we get off. No, I'm good. I just love that it's... Okay, now it just stopped, but I love that it's snowing today. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's been snowing the majority of the time we've been doing this podcast. Oh, no, our candle just went out, too. Well, now we really got to end the podcast. <laughs> um, thank you all for listening. I hope that this was a cooler episode than normal. For me, it was. Um, real quick, on air, let's, let's hash this out right now. I'm assuming you do not want to do another one of these next week, right? Maybe not next week. <laughs> <laughs> Already, I don't. I don't know what else to say about games. At least at the moment, I I talk so much about games. Well, see, that's the thing. Is normally we're covering news, so the things are kind of coming to to you, you know. Okay, but yeah. but that's fine. I think we're just gonna take next week off from the weekly diversion podcast, and you'll hear from us probably the next time you'll hear from. Uh, Critical diversions then is the game of the year podcast that should either be next week or the week after. Um, we'll hash that out later, but yeah, no weekly diversion next week. Uh, go play some games, right? Yeah. Specifically the Yokai Watch. Yes, exactly. Okay. See ya. Bye.